play. Habit. His clear gray eyes were deeply set beneath wide eyebrows, darker than the light brown hair that fell with irritating regularity over his forehead. His face was the color of a man's exposed to the weather, the tone permanently stained by the sun, but not burned. The lines beside and below his eyes seemed stamped more from his work than from age. Again, a face in constant conflict with the elements. The cheekbones were high, the mouth full, the jaw casually slack. For there was a softness about the man, in abstract contrast to the hard, professional look. This softness, too, was in his eyes. Not weak, but inquisitive. The eyes of a man who probed, perhaps because he had not probed sufficiently in the past. Things, things had happened to this man. The instant of observation over, he greeted the uniformed doorman with a smile and brief shake of his head, indicating a negative. No taxi, Mr. McAuliffe? Thanks. No, Jack, I'll walk. A bit nippy, sir. It's refreshing. Only going a few blocks. The doorman tipped his cap and turned his attention to an incoming Jaguar sedan. Alexander McAuliffe continued down the Savoy Court past the theater and the American Express office to the Strand. He crossed the pavement and entered the flow of human traffic heading north toward Waterloo Bridge. He buttoned his raincoat, pulling the lapels up to ward off London's February chill. It was nearly one o'clock. He was to be at the Waterloo intersection by one. He would make it with only minutes to spare. He had agreed to meet the Dunstone Company man this way, but he hoped his tone of voice had conveyed his annoyance. It wasn't that he minded the walk. He just hated to meet people in automobiles in the middle of congested traffic. It was a goddamn nuisance. The Dunstone man had had a short, succinct explanation that was, for the Dunstone man, the only reason necessary. For all things. Mr. Julian Warfield prefers it this way. He spotted the automobile immediately. It had to be Dunstone's and or Warfield's. A St. James Rolls-Royce, its glistening, black, hand-tooled body breaking space majestically, anachronistically, among the petrol-conscious Austins, MGs, and European imports. He waited until the car stopped directly in front of him, a chauffeur driving, the rear window open. "'Mr. McAuliffe,' said the eager young old face in the frame. "'Mr. Warfield?' asked McAuliffe, knowing that this fifty-ish precise-looking executive was not... Good heavens, no. The name's Preston. Do hop in. I think we're holding up the line. Yes, you are. Alexander got into the back seat as Preston moved over. The Englishman extended his hand. It's a pleasure. I'm the one you've been talking to on the telephone. Yes, Mr. Preston. I'm really very sorry for the inconvenience meeting like this. Old Julian has his quirks, I grant you. McAuliffe decided he might have misjudged the Dunstone man. It was a little confusing, that's all. If the object was precautionary, for what reason, I can't imagine, he picked a hell of a car to send. Preston laughed. <laughs> True. But then, I've learned over the years that Warfield, like God, moves in mysterious ways that basically are quite logical. He's really all right. You're having lunch with him, you know. Fine. Where? Belgravia. Ten minutes later, the car pulled up to the entrance canopy of a white stone building, with a brass plaque to the right of the glass double doors that read Shaftesbury Arms. McAuliffe followed Preston into the building, to a bank of three elevators in the well-appointed hallway. Is this Warfield's place, he asked, more to pass the moment than for inquiry. 
No, actually, it's mine, although I won't be joining you for lunch. Preston smiled noncommittally as the elevator door opened. Julian Warfield was talking on the telephone when Preston ushered McAuliffe into the tastefully, elegantly decorated living room. He is really quite a small man, thought Alex, as he acknowledged Warfield's wave with a nod and a smile. You'll send the accrual statistics on to Macintosh, then, said Warfield deliberately into the telephone. He was not asking a question. I'm sure he'll disagree, and you can both hammer it out. Goodbye. The diminutive old man replaced the receiver and looked over at Alex. Mr. McAuliffe, is it? Good to see you. Warfield crossed to Preston. His walk was like his speech, deliberate, paced slowly. Thank you for the use of your flat, Clive, and Virginia, of course. From experience, I know the lunch will be splendid. Not at all, Julian. I'll be off. McAuliffe turned his head sharply, without subtlety, and looked at Preston. The man's first name familiarity with old Warfield was the last thing he expected. Clive Preston smiled and walked rapidly out of the room as Alex watched him, bewildered. To answer your unspoken questions, said Warfield, although you have been speaking with Preston on the telephone, he is not with Dunstone Limited, Mr. McAuliffe. And the rolls at Waterloo was Preston's, said Alex. Yes. So if anyone was following me, my business is with Preston. Has been since I've been in London. That was the object. Why? Self-evident, I should think. We'd rather not have anyone know we're discussing a contract with you. Our initial call to you in New York stressed that point, I believe. You said it was confidential. Everyone says that. If you meant it to this degree, why did you even use the name of Dunstone? Would you have flown over otherwise? McAuliffe thought for a moment. A week of skiing in Aspen notwithstanding, there had been several other projects. But Dunstone was Dunstone, one of the largest corporations in the international market. No, I probably wouldn't have. We were convinced of that. We knew you were about to negotiate with ITT about a little matter in southern Germany. Alex stared at the old man. He couldn't help but smile. That, Mr. Warfield, was supposed to be as confidential as anything you might be considering. Warfield returned the good humor. Then we know who deals best in confidence, don't we? Come, we'll have a drink, then lunch. I know your preference, scotch with ice. Somewhat more ice than I think is good for the system. The old man laughed softly and led McAuliffe to a mahogany bar across the room. He made drinks rapidly, his ancient hands moving deftly in counterpoint to his walk. He offered Alex a glass and indicated that they should sit down. I've learned quite a bit about you, Mr. McAuliffe. Rather fascinating. I heard someone was asking around. They were across from one another in armchairs. At McAuliffe's statement, Warfield took his eyes off his glass and looked sharply, almost angrily, at Alex. I find that hard to believe. Names weren't used, but the information reached me. Not traceable to Dunstone. Warfield's short body seemed to stiffen. McAuliffe understood that he had touched an exposed nerve. I said names weren't mentioned, McAuliffe repeated. Did you use the Dunstone name in any ensuing conversations, Warfield asked. No, I didn't. I believe you, 
You should. If I didn't, I'd pay you handsomely for your time and suggest you return to America and take up with ITT. I may do that anyway, mightn't I? I do have that option. You like money. Very much. Julian Warfield placed his glass down and brought his thin, small hands together. Alexander Tarquin McAuliffe, thirty-eight years old, B.S., M.S., Ph.D., but the title of doctor is used as rarely as is his middle name. The geology departments of several leading American universities, including California Tech and Columbia, lost an excellent research fellow when Dr. McAuliffe decided to put his expertise to more commercial pursuits. The man smiled. Is this necessary? asked McAuliffe, fingering his glass, interrupting the old man. Yes, it is, replied Warfield simply, continuing as though his line of thought was unbroken. Your father was, and is, in retirement, a highly regarded agro-scientist. Your mother, unfortunately deceased, a delightfully romantic soul, adored by all. You had an older brother, a pilot, shot down in the last days of the World War. You yourself made a splendid record in Korea. Upon receipt of your doctorate, it was assumed that you would continue the family's academic tradition, until personal tragedy propelled you out of the laboratory. A young woman, your fiancé, was killed on the streets of New York. At night, you blamed yourself and others. You were to have met her. Instead, a hastily called quite unnecessary research meeting prohibited it. Alexander Tarquin McAuliffe fled the university. Am I drawing an accurate picture? You're invading my privacy. You're repeating information that may be personal but hardly classified. Easy to piece together. You're also extremely obnoxious. I don't think I want to have lunch with you. A few more minutes. Then it is your decision. It's my decision right now. Of course. Just a bit more. Dr. McAuliffe embarked on a new career with extraordinary precision. He hired out to several established geological survey firms where his work was outstanding, then left the companies and underbid them on upcoming contracts. Industrial construction knows no national boundaries. Fiat builds in Moscow, Moscow in Cairo, General Motors in Berlin, British Petroleum in Buenos Aires. I could go on for hours... And everything begins with a single file folder profuse with complicated technical paragraphs describing what is and what is not possible in terms of construction upon the land. Such a simple, taken-for-granted exercise. But without that file, nothing else is possible. Your few minutes are about up, Warfield. McAuliffe put his glass down on the table next to his armchair and started to get up. Warfield spoke quietly, precisely. You have twenty-three bank accounts, including four in Switzerland. I can supply the code numbers, if you like. Others in Prague, Tel Aviv, Montreal, Brisbane, Sao Paulo, Kingston, Los Angeles, and, of course, New York, among others. Alexander remained immobile at the edge of his chair and stared at the little old man. You've been busy. Thorough. Nothing patently illegal. None of the accounts is enormous. Altogether, they total two million four hundred odd U.S. dollars, as of several days ago when you flew from New York. 
Unfortunately, the figure is meaningless. Due to international tax agreements regarding financial transfers, the money cannot be centralized. Now I know I don't want to have lunch with you. Perhaps not. But how would you like another two million dollars, free and clear, all American taxes paid, deposited in the bank of your choice? McAuliffe stared at Warfield. It was several moments before he spoke. You're serious, aren't you? Utterly, the old man replied. For a survey? Yes. There are five good houses right here in London. For that kind of money, why call on me? Why not use them? McAuliffe asked. We don't want a firm. We want an individual. A man we have investigated thoroughly, a man we believe will honor the most important aspect of the contract. Secrecy. That sounds ominous. Not at all. A financial necessity. If word got out, the speculators would move in. Land prices would skyrocket. The project would become untenable. It would be abandoned. What is it? Before I give you my answer, I have to know that. We're planning to build a city in Jamaica. McAuliffe politely rejected Warfield's offer to have Preston's car brought back to Belgravia for him. Alex wanted to walk, to think in the cold winter air. Not that there was so much to think about as to absorb. In a sense, the hunt was over. The end of the intricate maze was in sight after eleven years of complicated wandering. Not for the money, per se, but for money as the conveyor belt to independence. Complete. Total. Never having to do what he did not wish to do. All things considered, everything Warfield proposed was not only correct and acceptable. It was glorious. An unencumbered, legitimate, two million dollars for a survey Alex knew he could handle— he knew vaguely the area in Jamaica to be surveyed, east and south of Falmouth, on the coast as far as Duncan's Bay, in the interior into the cockpit. It was actually the cockpit territory that Dunstone seemed most interested in. Vast sections of uninhabited, in some cases unmapped, mountains and jungles. Undeveloped miles, ten minutes by air to the sophistication of Montego Bay, fifteen to the expanding, exploding New Kingston, Dunstone would deliver him the specific degree marks within the next three weeks, during which time he was to assemble his team.